We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are broadcasting from, the Boorurung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge all the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. What do you get when a Japanese Jewish woman, a Korean woman and a Nigerian Malawian woman get together to chat about living, working and raising families in Australia? You get Like Us, a podcast that is Anna Song, Noi Chasel and Zioni Walker Nintendo, three Australian women from different cultural backgrounds discussing their personal relationship with Australia and Australia's relationship with them. Hello, ladies. Hello, Noi. Hi, Zioni. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Look, I've been doing some thinking, as every so often I do when I'm not watching trash TV. <laughs> I just want you to know I do thinking as well, all right? <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. And this time I've been thinking about language, its power, especially in migrant cultures and migrant families, and also in colonial Ooh. and post-colonial narratives. Okay, okay, okay. Like, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, language has got such power. About It has the power for Absolutely. loss and sadness and all the things, you know. So uh, there's these couple of quotes. I'm just going to throw them at you. I want you to hear these. Okay. okay. All right. And you might already know them. This is from Samuel Johnson. I'm always sorry when any language is lost because languages are the pedigrees of nations. Hmm. And then there's this one, actually, which is, I know it's going to get you really into the core. It's a beautiful quote. And it's from Musa Antar, who's a Kurdish writer. And um, Musa was assassinated by the Turkish government in 1992. So hmm. listen to this quote. If my mother tongue is shaking the foundations of your state, it probably means that you built your state on my land. Whoa. Wow. Right? So with these quotes... I just want us to think about the power of mother tongue, that mother language. And I want to hear your experiences about speaking or not speaking mm. mother language. So that second quote uh, reminds me of what happened to me on the train uh, recently. It's it's not, obviously, I'm not an, one of the indigenous peoples of of this country, but I was with a Korean friend on the train speaking Korean and animated and by now, you'd sort of know how <laughs> I talk you. and how yeah, I laugh yeah, in conversation. So we were audible uh, to people near us. And there was this really, you know, nice nice woman who was uh, with, with her child who, who came up to me and asked, um, can you speak English? See, hang on. So she came up to you and your friend who's speaking to just each other yes, in Korean. In Korean. Can you speak English? <laughs> How was that her business? Well, but I mean, who knows? You you no, don't have to ask, on, ask, ask her why why she wanted wanted to to know. She but needed maybe, directions. Maybe she wanted to strike up a conversation. I don't know. Maybe butt into your conversation, and, or, or and maybe she she needed di- directions. Or maybe she's just casually racist. <laughs> I didn't take it that way. But let me tell you my reaction, which actually surprised me a little bit. When she asked that question so earnestly, mm. I I looked at her and I just burst into a bit of a laughter because mm. I just I just could not connect. I could not fathom someone in this country seeing me as not able to speak English when I'm so fluent and I have such love of the English language and the written word and literature and and all of those things and my identity is so strong as an English speaker. 
But when I laughed, and I didn't have any ill intentions or anything, she looked mortified. She mm. looked. So, <laughs> she looks I'm so angry. embarrassed. And in front of her child, she went bright red in the Good. face. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No one's taking it to another I, place. I'm, yes. ang- I'm angry. Yes. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm sorry. You are amazing, Anna Song. I mean, I think that reaction because it was pure, and it like you said, you didn't totally mean anything by authentic it. By, by totally me. authentic. And I didn't read any anything. I mean, you're a stronger yeah. woman than me. I'll be honest, because I'm reading a lot into it. <laughs> well, maybe I don't have to be angry because you're being angry for me. Um, but what it also did made me. It triggered a memory of long, long time ago when I wasn't so confident, I suppose, Mm. in my bilingual identity. I think I did go through a phase in my adolescence where I wanted to speak only English in public spaces, like on a train, like, you know. Right. So just just going back, when you mean, when you say public spaces, you mean in Western public spaces? Yes. So outside of the home, basically, even if it was with my family, I think I did, there was an innate sort of as a is a adolescence, uh, connecting English speaking and respectability, and I wanted mm. to project that yeah. with my family, yeah, in public. We, that's right to that's to garner right. the type of respect from that, the broader society that, that an English. Deserved. That's right. Yeah. So you felt that by speaking English, you would be more respectable, more that you- accepted. And and uh, less vulnerable to ill treatment. Yeah, yeah. get it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And I think that that's something that's projected onto us as well. Mm. You know, yeah. that's why, for example, so many migrant families make such an effort, effort. to take right. away your mother tongue yes. and teach you only English. That's right. So you only speak English, but not just only speak English, but speak English the way it's spoken here. Right. Yeah, because then yeah, that means right. that you're from here. Yeah, right. right? And, yeah. I, I, you know, there's, there's that um, context in the UK with Nigerian families, but also Ghanaian, as far as I understand it. Having the parents work really, really hard, mm. go to university and just spend all their time working and studying and working and studying mm. and placing their children in foster families, white families, mm. um, so that Whoa. they could learn how to speak English. Because they all spoke English. The parents spoke English because mm. English mm. is the lingua franca of Nigeria. But it's so that they could speak English with a proper English accent mm. and be fully English in every way possible. So I know lots and lots and lots of friends and families who have grown up like that, like their entire adolescence until you finish high school. It's interesting you mentioned that how being adopted into another culture fully, like it's not just the language, is it? It's the way you act, the the movement. Exactly. The The imperceptible things that make you seem like, oh, you belong. And it's their parents almost recognizing that, okay, we can't quite make that transition Mm -hmm. in the same way. But we want to give you every opportunity to be able to do that. You know, Zioni, now that we're talking about it, I do re- I do remember us actually talking about this exact thing at, like a couple of years ago, I right. think, yeah. in, a, in a conversation you and I had. And I found it so unbelievable that parents will go to that, that length. And I found it almost unbelievable but I looked it up there's like a yeah, BBC yeah. documentary it's like a real there's a movie it's a real it's a real, it's thing. A real it's thing. A real thing but then at the same time it's not that unbelievable because you know you want 
your family, like you're just talking about then, Anna, you want your family to survive. Mm. You want to feel safe and, and like you accepted. fit in and accepted, right? And all those things, which is just more than words and language, but the hand, the way you hold your body, mm. the way you might move your head, all those imperceptible signifiers mm. of being part of a culture. That's right. And, and being a respectable part of that culture, yes. Yes. right? So I wonder, Anna, for example, I mean, you've lived in New Zealand and Australia for you know 5000 years <laughs> right and you are and you go back to korea you go don't back you? to korea yeah. all the time so when you go back like, this happens to my mother too when she goes back to japan you know she's been for 20 million years she's been in, <laughs> in western countries um so you know she often gets you know pointed out or told or so she tells me it's like she's a foreigner in japan do you feel like a foreigner in korea because of the way you act the way you move the way you speak even i think i did but the more uh, often I go back, I think less of that foreignness um, is self-aware, if you like. Yeah, so, right. Like a um, practice. That, that's right. And also, like, I just feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin in Korea the more often yeah. I go back. Mm. Yeah. And with my language, I mean, I also went through a phase in my um, adolescence of not speaking Korean to a point where I kind of felt like I lost it. Mm. Right. That is technically my mother tongue because of my sort of parents' desire for me to assimilate, I suppose, into the English-speaking world. Uh, and it got to a point where, yeah, like in the past, I would get very nervous communicating to my grandparents and my extended family in Korean. And I would I would sound odd. I probably still sound a bit odd in my Korean when I go back to sort of Korean Koreans because I left um, Korea when I was a child and, you know, yeah. I speak boring Korean, like textbook Korean. I don't know some of the the slang the and contemporary, yeah. Yeah. contemporary yeah. lexicon. Yeah. Um, but I can, you know, read Korean novels. I, I follow the news. And Do you dream in Korean? Like, you know... You know, I used to get that question so much in the earlier sort of days of uh, and, and years of our um, sort of migration, you know, and I, I don't know what Me, language neither I do I. Anymore. I. I always find it strange. Do you feel like you dream in a you language? You know, I sometimes, well, I have sometimes, and I, I mean, I say this genuinely, I have sometimes dreamt in Japanese. I can believe that. And I that. feel so like, successful. It's so embedded in your subconscious <laughs> that it comes out when you're comfortable, yeah, right? I, at well, peace I and just, at rest. I feel like a winner. Like, I feel like, <laughs> hey, get that, mom. <laughs> it sticks. Like, I just honestly feel that there is something like you're saying, Zioni, in the subconscious that is there that in some way, shape or form, it comes out. And when, particularly when I've been doing immersed in my writing. Right. And there's a lot of, I do a lot of myth writing, like a lot of writing about Japanese tales and fables right. and fairy tales. And when I'm in those spaces, I do sometimes feel some embodiment of that coming through, which then says to me that language is more than just the practice, is more than just the words. Yeah. Is, there, is, there is a cultural embodiment. Absolutely. Which, yeah, it's how important language yeah. is. So then I ask you, yes. Zioni, my fellow non-fluently <laughs> bilingual, <laughs> how does it feel then for you then to not be fluently bilingual in a nominated mother tongue? Yeah, Ooh. 
That's such a perfect way to ask that question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yes, English is the only language I speak properly. Well, properly. 70%. So um, and I In speak any a, language you choose. <laughs> In any accent you choose. There you go. Exactly. And I speak a bit of other languages. Yeah. And I find, especially as a migrant here, say if I'm in those clusters with other Nigerians or other black people, there's an assumption that I can speak a language other than English. And I know that there's a little element of maybe shame or embarrassment around not being able to, and that eventually they're going to find out when everybody's speaking their mother tongue that I can't. And so I found my way to, and and then that means that people then decide that I'm not authentic, right? If you can't speak your mother tongue, then maybe you're not really quite one of us. So my way of, my signifier is the fact that I can speak a form of broken English, right? A pidgin English that is Nigerian specific. And when I speak that, it's like, oh, okay, now you qualify, right? So for for me, language is quite sensitive in that sense of, are you one of us or not? Right. Right. So I have to do that dance from time to time. I totally understand that actually, because for example, my name, Noe, Noe is a Japanese name, but even for Japanese people, they don't know it's Japanese mm. until I give them the characters mm. for it because it's oh. very odd. It's, mm. an, it's an, considered ancient or very mm. un, uh, old-fashioned. Oh. But what's also interesting about the word or the name Noe, it can also be Hebrew. Yeah. So, oh, wow. which I, so for me, it's I have conscious. And I always thought of it as, as a Hebrew, Hebrew name unless you told me, right, as a Jewish name. Right, so very interesting. So I have been able to... Um, you know, be very well aware of that. So sometimes people will assume that I am Israeli and able to speak Hebrew. And sometimes, and people would hardly ever make the assumption that because they don't know it's a Japanese name until they see it. Mm. If they find out that I am then half Japanese, will make this assumption that I'm fluent in Japanese as well and able to speak Japanese. And then some people will just meet me and obviously think I can fluently speak English. And lo and behold, their disappointment when all those things are <laughs> untrue. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever find it problematic, the fact that you can't are there settings in which it's problematic that you can't speak all of it's Hebrew problematic or yeah Japanese? I mean so like as any good Jewish girl I can speak little bits of Yiddish little bits of you know I understand little bits of Hebrew I can and as a good Japanese girl I do speak Japanese pretty well okay. and hopefully my mother didn't hear that because she <laughs> has probably just keeled over right now <laughs> but truth be told in country at Times of serious crisis, I have held my own and gotten us out of situations and been able to navigate. In Japanese. In Japanese. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if you believe that, but thank you. (laughs) But having said that, though, I've been able to do it. And, you know, I can get stuff done. It's not, and I don't feel comfortable, though. So, so, so you don't feel comfortable speaking it? No, like I don't even feel comfortable ordering sushi at a restaurant. What? Here. I know. Sorry, and that's because you think your Japanese is not quite I just feel right. Like I don't I you know what? If we had the time <laughs> to explore that. Let's break it down. I don't even know what to say because I I have recently been able to say, yes, I am a proud half Japanese woman. Mm. That's a big tick for me. Why can't I order sushi? I do not know. Well, you clearly have the language skills yeah. to, to order it. Right. It's just the comfort level. Right. And in a Japanese restaurant, you mean? Because I a could lot probably, of the... I'd probably freak out ordering it anywhere. Like, right. I, like sushi sushi would probably freak me out. Like it's truth be told, I don't know what it is. And it constantly 
freaks me out. So let me put on my best therapist voice. Please, even I want to unpack this. Is that to do with shame? That you feel like you should be able to be "Quote unquote perfectly bilingual," but yet you're not. But my question to both of you would be: Is it your shame, or should it be others' shame? Yeah, I like, think you're right. You know, linking kind others of back being to who? That, well, linking back to the the train. Um, yeah. You know, anecdote. Um, the the reaction of the woman who asked that question, whether I can speak English, and her being embarrassed. I I think she felt a bit ashamed, ashamed. and she should. <laughs> I can't let it go, Anna. No, he's going to sit on yeah. that. One. Yeah, I'm going to sit on that for a while. And I wonder what others have asked yeah, of you, or or just you know nuances and connotations that has made you feel that going back to that respectability, I suppose. Yes. If you are perfectly bilingual, I think even now there are certain situations where it's not a strength, but an I don't know an oddity or just yeah, something yeah. different, or it's not. It's not positive somehow. I What's think not would, positive? I think being perfectly perfect bilingual, bilingual in, yeah. in in every sort of fluid situation in everyday Australia. I think if I were perfectly bilingual now, it would be a wonderful positive. I would think so. I can't see it any but, other way. But I think, to be honest, to answer your question, I do think that there is shame involved. I think it's a multiple, multifaceted elements of shame. So for me, I honestly believe that I do hold an inordinate amount of shame on so many levels that there's not even a point going into it. But the other thing to answer that, the other part of that shame question is I think that there was a lot of shame projected, like I felt onto a lot of shame you. onto me. Yeah. And that from was, people who speak one no, of those languages no, no. or from mainstream? Society, m- mainstream society as mainstream a whole. Mainstream society yeah. expecting you to speak these no, languages. No, just on being different. Okay. And I think the fact of being different and the shame of being different made it difficult for me to want to uh, yeah. solidify that difference yes. to acknowledge yes. that difference yes. by verify, yes. therefore say oh i'm going to yeah. i'm going to be fluent in another language yeah, i want to yeah. be different to my peers yeah, yeah. i want to be the 13 year old girl who spends all day saturday in yes. a language school thank yeah. you very much <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i'm oh, signing no. up for that yeah i mean i like no i don't want to go to prom no i don't <laughs> sorry no 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 i didn't want to do that i want to do that instead i want to yeah. be learning my times tables and i want to be doing that Japanese language rough. yeah that that's rough. me so i don't know if it was the same for you but like i think shame definitely played a large part of it yeah, no, mine is different. Okay. Um, and my shame isn't really from the broader society, actually. They haven't expected me to speak anything else, per se, in this context, that is. It's from my minority groups that expect that I should be able to. Mm. And it's also generational. So I think people who are in my generation, not necessarily, a lot of them probably can't speak their own native language, but their parents possibly. It's not hardcore, I should mm-hmm. say, um, because English is the lingua franca. So it's understandable that I speak English. But there just is a little bit of a sense of, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could also speak your own language? And what a shame that you've lost that legacy, right? Because language is a connection point. So if you don't speak the language, you lose the connection to a vast array of culture, references, history that can't be easily translated into English or another context. You lose that. So I think that's what they're almost pitying. I I really do uh, like recognize that sense of almost pity in the Korean community as well of um, a generation who, who weren't taught to be bilingual but to be English speakers first and 
Korean is a nice optional extra somehow. But then as perhaps society has gotten a bit more accepting mm. as being Korean, b- being, you know, multicultural has become more accepting. Now there is that recognition of loss mm. of children and adults who can't speak to extended family members mm. back home and have deep and meaningful conversations about family history, mm. know the nuance that comes with knowing a language, that cultural intelligence. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, and it goes back to that first quote, I think, yeah. that Noe mentioned about how it's such a loss. Yeah. Loss of a language is a loss for that yeah, civilization. It's a, it's a loss for a culture. And I yeah. think we need. I think it's really important that we all try our hardest to bring back language into our own family, some yeah. way, shape, or form. You know. Yes, love that. <sighs> love that. Come full circle yet again. Clever <laughs> us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Like Us, a new podcast by SBS. You'll find more episodes of Like Us on the SBS website, sbs.com.au slash like us. You can also subscribe to Like Us from the SBS radio app, Apple or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your hosts are Noe Harsel, Anna Song and Zioni Walker-Nintendo. We are produced and engineered by Michael Burrows at Brand Music and would also like to thank everyone at SBS radio, especially Caroline Gates, for their help and support.